Good morning. You know, it was said that as Charles Spurgeon would climb the stairs heading up to the podium, he would say over and over, please don't strike me dead. Please don't strike me dead. I hope this morning I have that reverence for God's Word. And I hope we do too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just ask, Lord, that you would be here with us this morning. Father, this is your house. These are your people. We are your people. Father, we come here to praise you. We come here to hear from you. And ultimately, we come here to glorify you. So, Lord, I pray that uh, as we go through your word this morning, that the only thing that would be heard is your words, what you want heard, Lord. If I say anything that is otherwise, that I pray that it would fall upon deaf ears, Lord. So, Father, we ask this in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be in Second Timothy uh, chapter 3 this morning. And I say I hope that we have a reverence for God's Word because that's where it starts. That's where things start going wrong. Is we lose that reverence. And once we start to lose our reverence for His Word, we will start cutting corners and we'll start taking liberties and it's downhill from there. And by downhill, I mean all the way. It leads to hell. And so many pastors today, they, they teach a gospel that doesn't involve hell. They don't want to talk about that because the people that they're speaking to don't want to hear about it. So you have teachers that are teaching wrongly and you have hearers that are going after them because what these people say make them feel good and they don't want to hear what's going to convict them. As, uh, as we start looking at this, I want to back up a little bit though. In 2 Timothy, Paul is talking to, talking to Timothy here and he starts off in chapter 1, uh, verse 5, reminding him that you've heard the truth from your childhood, your grandmother and your mother have taught you. I don't know about you, but I was very blessed. I grew up in a family that was believers. And my, my grandmothers, both my grandparents, both sides of my family, mother's side and my dad's side, were both believers. My mother and father were believers, uh, aunts and uncles. You know, it's an awesome thing to grow up like that. Because I had the benefit of them passing things on to me. I can never thank them enough. And so here Paul's reminding Timothy, you, you've heard this truth from the beginning. And then again, in ver, uh, chapter 1, verse 13, Paul says that he should follow the pattern of the sound words that he has heard from Paul. Because Paul came to Timothy now and has taken it further. And he is, he is mentoring Timothy. He's teaching him. And Paul is saying, remember what you've been told. Remember the truths that have been given to you. And Paul is, you know, as Paul is writing this letter, Paul is in prison. He's in Rome. He's in prison. And I think Paul kind of knew 
what the outcome of his imprisonment was going to be. There are some of his letters he says, you know, I hope to come see you. God willing, I will. But I think Paul kind of knew where, where this was leading. And so he also knows that Timothy is going to face some hardships in his life. That, you know, it's not always going to be an easy road for him. And people that support him are going to leave him. There's going to be people, people that he would think are, you know, solid believers. They're going to, for whatever reason, turn around and leave him, abandon him. There's going to be those that will come against him publicly, privately. And so Paul is saying, you know, what's going to get you through this is you need to remember these truths that, were, that you've known all your life, that God has given you. And hang on to these, grasp these. In fact, it's not recorded in Scripture, but if you've ever read Fox's, Fox's Book of Martyrs, Timothy's death is recorded in there. And it is uh, roughly around A.D. 97, during the reign of uh, Domitian, um, about two years after John had been exiled to Patmos. And it goes on to say that uh, Timothy was in Ephesus, and there was a big feast for uh, Diana, and it was called Katagogion, C-A-T-A-G-O-G-I-O-N. <laughs> uh, and he saw this procession going through the streets, and Timothy come out, and he started, he started reprimanding them for their ridiculous idolatry. He's like, what are you doing? And so they attacked him, and they beat him. And then two days later, he died from his wounds. Second account of his death comes from the apocryph Acts of Timothy. And it's pretty much the same account, but it says that it was during the reign of Nerva. Uh, and it was a festival to honor Dionysus. And the name of the festival was Katagogion. How do you say that? Except it was spelled with a K instead of a C. Uh, so either way, Timothy was martyred for his beliefs. So Paul knew what Timothy was going to come up against in his life. And that it was going to be, it wasn't always going to be easy. So Paul's trying to get him prepared for what's coming. And I, I bring this up because, you know, I realize Paul is writing to Timothy at this time. Timothy is a teacher and he's warning him. But when you read this part that we're going to read this morning, it could have been wrote for today. And so I'm going to read that right now. Second uh, Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1, it says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, and disobedient to their parents, ungrateful and unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sin and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men, 
corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be, will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. That could have been wrote for today. And the sad part about that is, <laughs> I'm not just talking about the world. Look within the church. Look at different churches, different, you know, pick them. And you'll see that, unfortunately, that can be said a lot about the church. And it shouldn't be that way. You know, why is it that way? It's because they lost their reverence for God's Word. They lost that, as Paul put it, that sound words that came from God Himself. This is the inerrant, infallible Word of God. What they were looking at at that time was the Old Testament. Today we have the benefit of the Old Testament along with the letters and the Gospels that were wrote later. Combined, we refer to that as the Holy Bible. And we agree. When we, talk, when we start our service, we talk about the creeds that we recite because we agree on certain things. We agree that this is the inerrant, infallible Word of God. And if we deviate from this, there's no good going to come out of it. Because what we're going to end up doing is being man-pleasers instead of God-pleasers. And that's where we're going today. That's where, that's where unfortunately, a lot, of, a lot of people, a lot of places are going. And Paul goes on to say, if you look back at uh, chapter 1, verse 14, Paul tells, Paul, he says, or, <laughs> Paul tells Timothy, to guard the good deposit that has been entrusted to you. So every time you hear the Lord's Word given diligently and reverently, when your grandmother sat there and talked to you about God, about Jesus, told you Sunday school stories, mine told me Sunday school stories, that was a deposit they were putting into you. They were preparing you for life. They were preparing you to know your Lord. And that's the deposit that Paul is talking about here. But unfortunately, even people that have had this deposit placed into them are going to fall away. And it's going to start, too, with people that don't stick to the Word and teach it properly. Every one of us, I think, can sit here and come up with uh, people that claim to be preachers, teachers, that have, for whatever purpose, have gone sideways. They've, I, I don't know what they're teaching today, but they're not teaching the gospel that comes from this book. They're not teaching the gospel that comes from God. You know, I think you can think of people like Mark Driscoll, Mars Hill, started off solid became a narcissist, and made it all about himself. Uh, Rick Warren of Saddleback Church started off good. And then he went sideways. At one point in an interview said he had saved more people than Jesus Christ. If you ever meet him, don't stand real close to him. You know, the person that... The, the, the engineer or architect or whatever that designed the Titanic said she was so unsinkable that God Himself couldn't sink it. 
what happened on its maiden voyage. <laughs> yeah. When people come out and they say things like this, get away from them. Paul says, avoid such people. In chapter 3, verse 5 there. In Rick Warren's church, Saddleback Church, has now gone on to endorse same-sex marriages. They've ordained women as ministers. And they've crossed the line to the point that the SBC has now kicked them out. And there's a big rift going on right now because of this. Beth Moore started off awesome. She let her fame and notoriety go to her head. She said, look what I'm doing. Now she claims to get her direction from personal, I don't know what the word is, visitation or whatever from God himself. And that she is only answerable to that. She is no longer affiliated with the SBC. She is now affiliated with Joel Olstein in the whole name it and claim it and prosperity gospel. That's how it happens. And they teach things that make people feel good. They don't teach repentance and they don't teach you are a sinner saved by grace. That without that, you will go to hell. They don't teach that. And I don't think there has ever been a worse um, heretical teaching in history than a Roman Catholic Church. They've taken it to a different level. Remember Jesse DePlantis? God wants me to have a $54 million jet airplane. And you need to send me some money so I can have it. And then, next thing you know, Kenneth Copeland jumps in defense of him. And he says, I quote, Oral Roberts used to fly airlines, but even back then it got to the place where it was agitating his spirit. People coming up to him. He'd become famous. And they wanted him to pray for them and all that. Imagine that. They would want him to pray for them. You can't. You can't manage that today. This dope-filled world and getting a long tube with a bunch of demons. That is a quote from Kenneth Copeland. Look at the stage he has. Look at the people that follow him. These people are elevating themselves above everyone else and they're doing it on the backs of the people that are following them. And again, like I said, I don't think there is a church worse than the Catholic Church. They, the papacy is a false prophet and the Catholic Church is, I don't know, you'd call it a, a pagan religion. They may say we teach Scripture, but they say we teach Scripture, it's Scripture and they say you got to have faith. Faith and. There's no and. It's Scripture alone. Faith alone. Think of the five solas. Starts off with sola scriptura. Scripture alone. It's not Scripture in another book you're told to read or anything else. Sola fide. Faith alone. It's not faith and pray to a statue. 
It's faith. Sola gracia. I may have said that wrong. Grace alone. Not grace and what other men designate a penance that you need to perform. Sola Christo. Christ alone. Not Christ and the Pope or any other man. You do not have to go to another man to seek forgiveness. You go to God through Christ. 1 Timothy 2.5 there is, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus. It ain't a pope and it ain't a priest. Christ alone. And the last one, the most important one. Sola, sole Dio. To the glory of God alone. Not for the glory of any man. And God will not share His glory. Isaiah 42, 8, I am the Lord, this is my name. I, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Whether you're in a Catholic church or an Anglican or whatever, the Church of England, whatever you want to call it, and they got them statues, they say you go pray to Saint whatever. No. No, that's idolatry. Paul's warning Timothy, this stuff's coming. It's going to happen. Because there are people in these belief systems that are sincere in their beliefs, but they've been led astray. They've been led astray because they've been taught wrong. And they've been led astray because they don't want to hear the truth. Go back to verse 1 in chapter 3. He says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Well, if you listen to some of these pastors preach, that's not how it works. If I believe, life's going to be easy. Life, you know, if I'm a Christian, that is unbiblical. It does not say that in Scripture. In fact, Christ says otherwise. He says, in this world, there will be trouble. John 16, 33, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace in the world, you will have trouble. You'll have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So yeah, you're going you're gonna to struggle. I'm going to struggle. But because I know Christ conquered sin, I know Christ is my Savior, and I know what the outcome eventually will be, I can have peace in that struggle. Doesn't mean I'm not still going to go through it. It just means I'm going to have peace in it. And I have found the closer my walk gets with God, the better I deal with those times. I mean, I can remember it used to be my way of dealing with things was not only not healthy, it just plain wasn't good. <laughs> you know, I had some uh, not real good coping mechanisms. But grace be to God, He's brought me to a different place. Now, instead of going to the liquor store, I can go to the Bible. That's huge. You feel better in the morning too, by the way. Don't forget that. 
And as people stray, as they start to go after these false teachings, because these are the teachings the world wants to hear. For those of us that are going to base our lives on the standard that God set, we're going to find our struggle is going to get harder. Look at your culture today. If you not only don't tolerate, but accept and praise what's going on, gay marriage, abortion, anything that's against the Scripture, ordination of women at the pulpit. If you don't go along with this stuff, you are wrong. You are the problem. And we call that the council culture today. That they're, they just, they're just going to do away with you. In many jobs today, if you're a Christian and you voice your biblical views and you stay solid on them, you're going to find yourself in the unemployment line because they're not going to tolerate you there. That's where we've come. I was talking with Brian this morning and I said, I told him I said I was going to say something. I was going to say that we were going to find, quote, ourselves on the wrong end of the council culture. But we know, in fact, we're on the right end. That I would rather stand before God knowing that I did my best to uphold the truths that He gave me in His Word than to stand there before Him and admit I let the world take my, my views and that I compromised my views just so I could get along in the world. I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. And I don't want to do that now and I don't want to answer for that then. And I don't ever want to be accused of causing someone else to think that way. Right here, God's Word. If you've got questions, it's here. And if they're teaching anything else, it's heresy, it's wrong, get out of there. And they're going to bend. They're going to continue to bend Scripture to go along with the world. It's going to get worse. Because those churches are going to be fine. Society is going to say, oh, go to that church. Those are good people. Because they don't convict them. As long as you don't convict anybody, as long as you don't mention Jesus Christ, you're fine. Nobody cares. You can say God all you want. You can thank God. You can do anything you want. Don't you dare say Jesus Christ. Unless you're cussing. That's the world. In chapter 2, Paul talks about those that have fallen away and they're teaching heresy. But in chapter 2, verse 19, he says, The Lord knows those who are His. Isn't that a nice feeling? God knows you're His. You can be struggling. Maybe it seems like an uphill fight. But you can rest assured that God knows you. And God knows who is His. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. My sheep know who I am. Well, the shepherd knows who his sheep is. And if you are the Lord's, if you are 
if you call on his name and he knows your name, and you find yourself in one of these churches around these people that are teaching this stuff, the second you realize it, the second God opens your eyes, get up and get out. I would not have a problem being in a church service, hearing somebody get sideways. I'd grab my wife and my family and get up and walk out. Wouldn't bother me one bit. Verse 2. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. Verse 6, For among them are those who creep into houses and captures weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. I want to stop there for a minute. We're not talking just about women here, folks. We're talking about anybody that is weak and caught up in not wanting to recognize the truth. They kind of studied that out a little bit because that didn't seem right how that was sitting there. They prey on people that they know don't have a solid understanding of the Word. They prey on people that they know don't study God's Word. Why do you think the Catholic Church don't want you in your Bible? Because if you're in your Bible, you're going to know the truth and you're not going to listen anymore. You're going to go someplace else. Verse 7, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of truth. You know, there's people out there, they'll, they, they spend all this time, they watch TV, they read books, they listen to the latest, greatest talker out there. You know, get all the self-help books, they're constantly searching. They never find the truth. Because they're looking in all the wrong places and they're not looking for the right reasons and they don't want the truth. And that describes today's world <laughs> that we are in. And the sad, like I said before, the sad part about this is it's, it's, it's starting, to, not starting, it is infiltrating the church itself. And there's, you know, there's so many people out there that are being led astray. Like I said, for two reasons. One, they're being taught wrong. And two, they just, they just don't know. They don't want to hear the truth and they don't want to take the time to find the truth themselves. They may be great people. You may meet them and you may say, Hey, that is an awesome person. They're the salt of the earth. Folks are going to hell. Unless they come to a saving, understanding of the gospel and who Jesus Christ is, they're going to hell. Being a nice person does not get you to heaven. It will take you straight to hell. Jeff and I have had this conversation several times, even talking about why do men go into ministry? And it used to be a very noble thing to do. Kind of like, I like being a school teacher or a police officer, things like that. There was a time these were noble things to do. 
you were looked up upon in the communities. It was not uncommon for a community to go to a, even, even in the early days of the United States, to go to the minister in town to settle a dispute instead of going to court. These were no, they were noble men. But today things have changed. And so we look at it today, we ask ourselves, you know, why are men going into this profession? And I, I'm afraid that a lot of them are going into the profession today to hide. They're coming up here behind this pulpit and they're hiding. They don't want to work for a living. They don't want to go out. Today, the thing that him and I talk about is, what if the tax-exempt status of the church in the United States was revoked? That might be a good thing. Because some of these people that are hiding up here, they might go away. They can't hide their income in the church anymore. You know, some of these guys that are getting just filthy rich, living lifestyles that their congregation could never dream of living, paying minimal taxes because, well, I'm a pastor. I'm a preacher. I'm a minister of God's Word. So I get tax-exempt status. What would happen if they lost that? Might weed it out a little bit. One could hope. I don't think it'd necessarily be that bad of an idea. You know, there are churches out there even that if they have a congregant that is on welfare, that is maybe having to have some assistance to get through some hard times, will browbeat them to tithe on that little stipend they're getting from the government. That's not God's church. What Jesus called a synagogue of the Sadducees and the Pharisees, he called it a synagogue of demons or serpents or something like that. Demons would be the same thing. It's an unholy church that would do something like that. Verse 8 says, Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. Anybody know who Janus and Jambres was? It's kind of interesting because their names are not recorded in Scripture. But in the Jewish Talmud and in the Dead Sea Scrolls and in uh, the writers Pliny and Aphelius, we get their names. They were the two magicians in Pharaoh's court that opposed Moses and Aaron. What were they? They were frauds. They could copy what Moses and Aaron did. Moses and Aaron only did what God allowed them to do. God said, throw your staff down. So Moses told Aaron, throw your staff down. It became a serpent. Well, the magicians could copy these things. They could never come up with anything original. They were frauds. And that's what the enemy does, is it imitates the church, but it's not the church. And it sucks people with weak understanding away and leads them astray. 
And it counts on people being weak in their understanding. Why do you think the Catholic Church murdered all those people that dared to put the Bible into common man's language? Because if you can read Scripture for yourself, they lost their power. William Tyndale said his goal, his greatest goal, was that a plowboy in the field would know more about God's Word than the Pope in Rome. That was Tyndale's mission. Control. They know if you're not reading God's Word, they can guilt you, make you think it says something, and use it against you. They're frauds, just like Janice and Jambres. They can copy, they can imitate, but they ain't the real thing. So as we I go back here to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, uh, verse 3, says, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ, the teaching that accords with godliness. He is puffed up and conceited and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, and evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and depraved of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. And it's getting worse and worse in our culture. So what do we do? Because it's going to get worse. We, with our own eyes, are witnessing it. And we are going to see it get even worse. What do we do? Well, Paul tells Timothy in chapter 3, verse 14 through 17, he says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Later, he tells Titus, he says, stick to sound doctrine. How do you know what's sound? Jesse Wildman got me on, uh, on Tuesday. We were having a great conversation. I love this. I love this. I, I said something about Revelation, and he goes, ah, but does it really say that? And it stopped me for a minute. So I went to looking it up, and I'm like, well, you know what? No, it doesn't. It doesn't say that. And I love that when somebody catches me and I've said something and maybe it's not right. And that is so important because the direction of the church, the direction of we as a group of believers is also dependent on you. It's not just the person that's preaching and teaching. The congregation has got to hold the person teaching accountable. Again, why didn't the Catholic Church want you having a Bible? Because you couldn't hold them accountable. So it's just as important that the person sitting in the back row is in the Word of God as it is for the person up front that's teaching. Everyone needs to be aware 
And that's what we do about the times we're seeing. That's what we do about what's going on. Because people, this is going to get worse. These people are out there. They're like cockroaches. You ever lived in, I lived in Houston, Texas. You ever been there? I won't tell you what I think of the place. But you be in a super clean house there. Turn the lights off. Wait a second. And turn the lights back on. There's cockroaches everywhere. I hate them things. Well, these type of people, they don't like light being shined on them. <laughs> so the second that light gets shined on them, they go scurrying back to their little holes. They're a bunch of cockroaches. But the time's coming. They're not running from the light anymore. They're arrogant in their belief. They're arrogant in... They're, they're arrogant in their defiance. They don't think that they can be called on it. They don't think it matters. And so now when the lights get turned on, they don't go scurrying back to their hole. They're staying out there. That's, it's crazy that it's getting that bad. I never, I knew it was going to happen. I mean, I grew up hearing these things. I grew up in church. I knew this stuff was going to happen. I just never thought I'd see it in my life. And I figured, oh, you know, I'm going to be 300 years old and dead and rotted in the ground by the time this happens. Well, guess what? I'm almost 57 years old and I'm seeing it. And I love I love Paul's uh, admonishment to Timothy in first twenty or first Timothy six twenty. He says, "Ah, oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted in you." You know, it's a plea. He says, "Guard it, keep it, keep it close." You know, in, in Deuteronomy, I, I don't remember the address. Deuteronomy, it says, "You know, you're to be talking about God's law and God's word." constantly, daily, with your neighbor, with your children, with your family. You know, put it as fauntlets between your eyes. And, you know, the, 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 the visual is it is, for, it is at the forefront of your mind that what you're thinking about is God's Word, God's law, constantly. And I love those spontaneous conversations you have with a brother or sister where you sit down and all of a sudden you just start talking. And it's God's word you start talking about. Next thing you know, a couple hours have gone by. I love those times. But if you don't spend time here, you're, you're not going to have in here and in here what it takes for that to happen. Proverbs 4, 23 through 27 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, and then all your ways will be sure. And do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. And the visual there is, be narrow-minded. Be focused on God's Word. Be focused on God's law. Why do you think he said the path is narrow, the gate's narrower? But that path to death is wide open. It's a freeway. It's an eight-lane freeway heading, heading to hell. But that path to heaven, that path to righteousness is narrow. 
So be narrow-minded. Be focused on God's Word. That's how we're going to get through these times. Some of us may live to see the end before Christ calls everyone home. You know, maybe it'll be a generation or two later. I don't know. I don't have a clue. I just know that God or Jesus in the the Gospels pointed to a few things and he, He gave us a little bit of warning. He said, look for these signs, that they are signs of the coming. Look around you. They're all over the place. And pray, come Lord Jesus, come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would uh, keep us securely in your word, Lord. That you would not let us be led astray. You would not allow anyone to enter amongst us, Father, that would lead us in a path that takes us away from you. Father, you are the God. You are the only God. You are the holy and righteous God. And it is in you that we have our hope and we have our faith, Lord. Father, we pray for you to deliver us until the time comes. In your son Jesus' name, amen.